Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And as I do, Paul, every time I thank my listeners because without them, um, I obviously wouldn't continue on this journey. Um, with your help and your support and everybody that's out there, thank you so much. Um, you are the ones that help to make this show and obviously all of my authors. And today joining me uh, is Paul Coliani. And Paul is the author of a new book called The Overwhelmed Brain, Personal Growth for Critical Thinkers. That book title is also a website and a podcast program uh, that he does called The Overwhelmed Brain. And you can reach Paul there at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. Good day to you, Paul. How are you doing? Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing great. And uh, I'd like to thank your listeners, too. So, And thank you for having me on. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, uh, it's uh, this is a Ulysses book, and uh, Ulysses sends me lots of books, and then I choose oh. which ones I want to do. So oh, great. I didn't know that. This is great. <laughs> so um, for my listeners, Paul Coliani is a personal empowerment coach, author, and the host, as I said, of this top-rated award-winning personal growth podcast called The Overwhelmed Brain. Uh, his passion is to empower people so that they can make decisions that are right for them. Uh, life-changing episodes and articles can be found at the website at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. That's www.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. There you can find workbooks. You can find all kinds of support that Paul's providing um, his listeners. And Paul, you know, um, in the introduction of your book, you write about your kind of dysfunctional childhood. You don't get real deep into it, but you do, you do state that it was dysfunctional. You state that your childhood made those of some of the listeners of your pop program pale in comparison because obviously you've heard some stories from people um, that are listening to your podcast um, that made yours sound like a cakewalk. Um, what coping mechanisms do you believe um, can best serve people um, when they're in these challenging relationships? And obviously, it could be a relationship with a parent. It could be a relationship with a sibling. It can be a relationship with a spouse. Uh, but obviously, our life is filled with relationships, and this book is a lot about relationships. Yeah, it sure is. And, um, you know, I think the coping mechanisms as a child are a lot different as an adult. And I think the problem that happens is that we get into relationships that become toxic because we carry the beliefs from childhood and the perceptions of the world from childhood into our adult relationships. So, we think that the same coping mechanisms work when we're an adult. For example, one of the coping mechanisms I had as a child was because I lived with an alcoholic stepfather and I was uh, I had a, a lot of fear and a certain uh, bit of respect for him at the same time, like that fear and respect mix. <laughs> and uh, what happened with me was that I would... Um, change who I was. I would change my personality. Uh, and I think a lot of people can relate to this if they've ever been in an alcoholic home where you fine tune your behavior so that you don't invoke the behavior that you don't want to see from the person that might be uh, abusive or aggressive in any way. 
So what I did was fine tune my my behavior and be, and became what I believed they wanted to see, so that they or my stepfather wouldn't get angry, or wouldn't be upset, or wouldn't yell, or kick a wall, or throw a glass, or do something worse. So I had these coping mechanisms as a kid, and I took this ability to be the chameleon. Um, I, I also became very you know, super responsible, perfectionism, a lot of stuff that um, adult children of alcoholic experience. Uh, when they grow up. And um, I took this into my jobs and I took this into my adult relationships so that nobody ever really saw the real me. They just saw the person I wanted them to see because I believed that being more authentic was dangerous because it might incite behavior that I didn't want. So I, I wanted to avoid that. So that's like one aspect of a coping mechanism that might have worked as a kid but doesn't work in adult relationships. Now, when you get to an adult relationship, uh, any type of coping mechanism that um, makes you someone that you're not, I don't think is healthy. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I don't think it's a good idea to cope in m- many situations because now you're an adult. Now you have adult. Dis- you can make adult decisions, and you can make decisions for yourself. You typically have a way. Uh, to get away from people that are toxic. Not all the time. We lock ourselves into relationships, into marriages, and with children and all this other stuff, and it's harder. But um, what we end up doing is we don't, I don't want to give in to those same childhood beliefs that I have to be someone else. So I think uh, as an adult, it, it becomes less and less about coping mechanisms and more and more about how can I, <clears throat> excuse me, how can I be in this challenging situation and um, not lose my sanity, not be emotionally drained, not feel like I'm uh, drinking toxic liquid and survive this if, if I have to stay in this relationship? If I don't have to and I can make choices outside to get away from this toxic relationship, then I should do that as well. So I don't lean so much on coping mechanisms when you're older. Right. But when you're younger, younger, it's like, you might have to. Well, I mean, I think as adults, hopefully you have new learned behaviors which allow you um, to actually be a little more assertive, um, to yeah. to stay in a state of consciousness um, which makes you much more aware. I think as a child, it's about compliance. Um, as an adult, it's not about compliance. It's about really... Um, both of you getting what you want, but a lot of times you have to uh, look at that. And you tell a story about the importance of congruence. And you tell a story about your ex-wife and her dieting program and the mm. yo-yo dieting program. And she tells you, hey, I'm on a dieting program. A week later, you ask her, how's it going? And she mm-hmm. says, um, I'm not doing it anymore, right? And how <laughs> frustrating that made you. And then I, I think it should it, the question here, and because this is not an uncommon thing in relationships to occur. Um, Speak with the audience about the importance of programming the subconscious brain so that our behaviors create the life that we really want to live. Yeah, the story goes on to say about um, how my wife would try a new dieting program and then I would ask her about it a week later and suddenly she's like, what program? And I'm like, huh? You, You said you're on this program. So it would continue to confuse me. Mm-hmm. That, that, and I didn't, you know, everyone has the right to change their mind. 
Um, but it was hard for me to someone for someone to say, for example, I'm going to paint the house blue, and then I w- come home and it's red. Mm. I was like, I, I thought you were going to paint the house blue. So what that did to me was start creating a bit of mistrust for what she said, because you said the key word congruence. Congruence is when your behavior matches your intention. So if, if you're considering doing something and you say, hey, I'm going to do this, and then you actually do it, that's congruent behavior. When you have incongruent, incongruent behavior in a relationship, uh, especially, is that when mistrust starts. But now, now, that's not just mistrust of your partner or your husband or your wife. It is also mistrust in, in yourself because this is where you start to either program your subconscious mind in a healthy way or you program it to actually not trust what you're saying <laughs> because you can say I'm going to paint the house red and then the next day you change your mind and paint it blue again we all have a, a right to change our mind and when that happens that's perfectly fine but if it's consistent and it's a pattern then you start programming your mind to go I can't even trust myself I can't even trust what I say myself I don't make I don't follow through with the commitments that I make to myself and that does have an effect and you will find that you're not getting the things you want in life if you commit to something and don't follow through with it. It's an incongruent pattern in yourself. Not only will others not uh, trust what you're saying, uh, but you won't trust what you're saying. And it might not even be conscious, like you were talking about being conscious about it. Like once you turn on that conscious ability to realize, you know, I made this commitment, I'm going to follow through. Again, there's exceptions you you. Uh, change your mind and stuff like that. But when it's, once it's a pattern, you do it all the time or it becomes a coping mechanism and then you might have to look at your life and go, you know, I keep doing this. I need to change something. Right, right. Now, you you talk in the book about this self-sabotaging behavior, you know, picking poor relationships again and again and time and time again or bad careers. Um, and again, this is about... Uh, at your your book is a lot about the subconscious mind. It's about reprogramming it. It's about finding ways of um, supporting yourself uh, in a much better way. What advice do you have for our listeners about transmuting what you refer to in the book as self-sabotaging behaviors? I love the word self-sabotage. <laughs> I don't know why. It just sounds good together, even though it's so destructive. But if we look at the decisions that we're making in our life uh, as possibly being self-sabotaging, then we're starting to be conscious of what we're doing in our life. And self-sabotaging behavior is actually something you can recognize in yourself if you do a little exercise in values. If you figure out what's important to you, excuse me, in each area of life, like, for example, what's important to me about my relationship? Well, I want to be in a relationship where someone respects me, where they're honest, where they don't betray me, where we can laugh together, where we can share experiences. You have all these important things about relationships. And then you keep evaluating each decision you make and see if it's in alignment with all those values. Because if I guarantee you, if, if you have some top level values that aren't being met, then the rest of them don't matter. Like if one of your top values is I must be respected in a relationship and your partner doesn't respect you, then it doesn't matter if you laugh a lot. It doesn't matter if you share all these expe- excuse me, experiences. 
Because what happens is your top level value isn't being met and it's going to, that's part of the self-sabotaging behavior is that you're going in a direction that's not in alignment with your values and suddenly your life's falling apart and you don't know why. Because you look at your other values and go, well, we laugh a lot and we share all this stuff, but one of those top level values aren't being met. So that's where, that's where you can start to figure out why, why does this thing in my life keep failing? Why do I keep losing good jobs, good people? Why do I keep going down this same road? And then you can go, oh, well, this thing happened and that is important to me and I'm, I'm ignoring that. So now I'm getting these results. Well, and I, and I think that's absolutely correct is that, you know, what you're telling the audience is that, you know, you, you basically programmed yourself to fail. Um, and you tell a story about what you speak as a dead-end jobs that you once had, and I think you were a store manager or something, and um, uh, you, had, you had to be on call uh, most mm. of the time, and somebody was you know, bugging you when you didn't want to be bugged. And the chapter is why you're not getting the results that you want. And obviously, this, uh, what was happening was incongruent with your own values, right? So, yeah. Speak with the audience with what you refer to as intrinsic knowledge and how that will help them make the important decisions they need to make. Um, you call it intrinsic knowledge. I think that, that I'd refer to it, too, as uh, even intuitively. If you're in touch you know, with your soul, you certainly uh, have the ability and you understand what's going on, but frequently you're ignoring these signals, these signs, these emotions, this, all of this. You just you continue to bury it. Yeah, I think one of the most important questions I ask myself when it comes to intrinsic knowledge, intuition, uh, inner guidance, however you want to look at it, is you stop and ask yourself the question, is this right for me? And you think about that for a moment. If, if you're going in a direction, maybe you're going to start a new job. You can go, is this job really right for me? Because the answers will come, uh, whether it's referencing all the events in your past subconsciously, and then you get this feeling like, ah, oh, this just, this doesn't feel right to me. For example, I had a, um, an offer to speak on a tropical island. And I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. And, um, it's like a business conference. But I was in the middle of a project and something didn't feel right. And I stopped and asked myself the question, is this, is this right for me? And I said, at this time, this isn't right for me. And so even though I wanted to do it and it was a great opportunity, it didn't, it didn't uh, vibe with me. I, I wasn't in resonance with it. And, I, it. and when I asked, is this right for me? The answer is no, not at this time. So you come to learn to accept these answers from yourself. And you start uh, creating the life that you want instead of the one that you think you should do. Is this, is this relationship really right for me? You know, it's probably not. I, I'm unhappy more than I'm happy. Maybe I should do something about it. Yeah, but I'm stuck. I made a commitment. And if I leave, I'll feel bad. Yeah, but it's not right. So if you stay, you'll feel worse or it'll continue your suffering. And I really think it's important to ask that question and that helps you get in touch with whatever you want to call it and uh, bring it out so that it it helps guide you going forward. Most definitely. And uh, as you say, 
being in a situation where you're compromised uh, is probably one of the worst um, yeah. because uh, you, you feel like you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. Um, but the reality is, is for your own health, well-being, mental, emotional, spiritual health, you've got to make a decision. And frequently people sit on the lines with relation to that. Now, Paul, you yeah. speak about this story about your stepfather and the abusive relationship. You talk about it in the um, introduction a bit. You talk about it. Um, you obviously had a sister. Uh, and you had this particularly traumatic event. Um, and this stepfather was actually quite abusive. And this event seemed to change your perspective um, for quite some time. And it was really around your, your actually pooping your pants. Um, mm-hmm. Can you tell the story and let the listeners know that uh, they are able to heal those past um, uh, traumatic events? Because a lot of people carry that baggage for a long, 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 long time. Yeah. And, and you know, like I said, like you said at the beginning, you know, some of the stuff that I went through is just like it pales in comparison. And um, th- that kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say invalidates what I went through. But now that I recognize some of the stuff that I've gone through and I recognize some of the other stuff that other people have gone through, I go, wow, if it was this hard for me to get over some of the minor stuff in my life, I can't imagine what some people have to carry around with them. Because some, some people hold on to the quote family secrets like don't tell anyone i don't know if there's sexual abuse or you know what other kind of abuse you've gone through getting beat up and all this stuff that we hold on to and first of all holding on to it is a way to keep the pain and, and suffering and and there are you know there's therapy and coaching and, and there's are there's healing methodologies out there that can help you get through it but the idea of uh, holding on to it not telling anyone out of maybe shame or fear or guilt is not good for you, not healthy, and it will continue to plague you uh, for years and years and years. But that's pretty much something I did um, when, if I'm referring back to my own abuse, which is, like you said, pooping my pants. I was like four or five and I'm, I wasn't wearing diapers anymore and I was still having a problem there. And I look back at it now and I go, of course, I'm having a problem there. I'm being abused. But <clears throat> the, the specific event you're talking about is when my stepfather took my underwear off and rubbed them in my face and held me down under his body weight where I had no choice but to just take it. And uh, he was like, you want to you wanna poop your pants? Then you want to be a baby? And, and then he rubbed it in my face. I was like, oh. So, you know, as a, as a four or five-year-old, I, I was under complete control i had to be completely submissive and um that along with other i don't know how to say it colonic problems that i had growing up uh were all related to that event and other events and i carried that with me i had an anal phobia i know this is kind of a weird thing to talk about but you carry this stuff with you and you don't want i didn't want anyone near that area of my body and I was very phobic about it. And I held on to it for 40 plus years. So I'm 46 now. So just a couple of years ago, I started getting over like the f- final healing process, uh, processes that I've, I've been going through. And, um, you know, not only expressing and talking about it with people that I 
feel that are safe for me and that I love, um, but also finding modalities that work for me. Like uh, one thing I talk about in the book, and I, I think this this proceed this uh, process that I'm going to mention, I still think it's kind of weird, and I'm still not sure what I believe about it. But I used EFT, emotional freedom technique, with a tapping on your body yeah. for the for yeah. this for this particular phobia that I had. Mm-hmm. And after just a couple rounds, I was like, wow, I am like. <laughs> I am a 180 degrees here. I feel so much more comfortable in that area. So well, why I, I would say why not experiment with alternative therapies, uh, whatever it's going to be required. You know, you have something that traumatic that you've attempted to deal with for that many years. Um, you know, I, I would think a lot of listeners that are listening to this, you, you didn't get to a point of desperation. Um so yeah. it, it, it is something, uh, whether it's anxiety attacks, which is what I dealt with for quite some time, and try and find biofeedback and then move into deep, deep meditation, mm. whatever is required, um, you know, whether you think it's woo-woo or not, I know you say this, your show is for critical thinkers, mm. and the reality is, is that um, many of the alternative practices are uh, very, very effective at, at helping you. And, you, you know, you mentioned that you carried one limiting belief into all your relationships. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, uh, your book is about relationships. And, you, and that, that limiting belief was, when my partner does something I don't like, uh, I need to change him. Mm. I think this is an important one because yeah. it's not about changing your partner. It's about changing you. The biggest thing you learn in life is that none of this is about changing somebody else. It's about changing your attitude, your emotions, and your beliefs about somebody else. How, how do we prevent making these choices that actually are making us unhappy? Yeah, and that's a great way to state it uh, about changing yourself. I mean, one of the things that I had to work through in myself was my heavy judgment issues. I, I was very judgmental of my closest partners in life. And that ruined every single relationship I've ever been in, except the one I'm in now, <laughs> because I finally healed from it when I got my divorce a few years ago. And because when the divorce came, I was like, what is going on in my life? You know, you look at the common denominator and it's like, I am the common denominator for all these people leaving me. And so what is going on? Why am I doing this? So the very last year of my marriage, we separated. She went to California. I stayed in Oregon. And uh, with plans on getting back together when she found her passion in life and we could reconnect. But as she was gone, she realized that without me in her life, she was happier. And I was, and she, she shared this with me. And I was like, well, what's that about? So having alone time where we weren't influencing each other. I realized that every time, and uh, you kind of mentioned this earlier, every time she went on a diet, every time, because she had an eating issue where she would just eat junk food to stuff down her emotions. And at the time, I was very judgmental about that because I wanted, I think it goes back to where my stepfather drank. If he drinks, he doesn't love me. If she eats and she's not sharing her emotions, she doesn't love me. So I felt that and I applied it to the relationship. And every time that happened, I would be judgmental and I would give her that look or say something that uh, made her feel bad. She already felt bad for stuffing her emotions and now I'm making her feel bad on top of that because I'm being judgmental about what she eats. 
And so that just wore her down, wore her down until she finally just fell out of love with me. And so the last year I realized, geez, you know, what is my problem? And I, I think that's an important question. What's my problem? Yes, if she, because my, my thoughts were, if she would just change, my relationship would get better. And that was the limiting belief is that I always believed that if someone else changed, that my life would get better. And it was just easier to put that out into the world. And then when they didn't change, it was their fault that I wasn't happy or something. So how do I fix that? What do I need to do? I started realizing that when I, uh, something happened, I, I shifted somewhere where I said, you know, when I judge someone, why, why do I have to wait for them to change? If I don't like it, why don't I either change or leave? And that was a, a, a revelation for me to go, wait a minute. If I'm being judgment, judgmental towards someone else, it's because of something I don't like. So if I don't like it, why am I staying? It, it doesn't mean that their behavior is right or wrong. It just means I've had my focus on the wrong person the whole time. And so I, I brought it back and I go, okay, if I really don't like her behavior, then I need to focus on myself and ask myself, can I accept this behavior? And I, I came up with a, yeah, yeah, I think I can. I think I can work through this. If I can accept that behavior about her, then it'll be fine because she's not going to change. And even if she does, should it matter to me? So that focus, that, that shifting of energy outward and turning it inward and realizing that I need to do what I need to do for me, honor myself, that changed everything for me. And it started my healing process and taking away all that judgment and bringing it back so then I can start healing from, from for future relationships, which is where I am today in a relationship where I've basically turned off my judgments about other people and just focused on me and what I need for myself. Well, you know, you're giving our listeners great advice. And I think this is that advice, as you say, for the overwhelmed brain, personal growth for critical thinkers. Your book, Paul, is really, really a good, how do I want to say this? It's a good way for people that are in relationships with others, but also the most important relationship is with themselves, is to relook at that and to shift the kind of um, thinking um, that's creating many of their problems because it's mm. not always about the person out there. It's about the person that's facing us back in the mirror. Mm. And that person is usually the one that needs the most work. Um, and as you go on this journey, as you've uh, most eloquently stated here, um, you learn to become more compassionate for yourself and compassionate for others. You learn to have more understanding. Um, and the back of the book, it says, you know, overcome stress and anxiety. Obviously, when you're more compassionate for yourself, you're going to reduce your stress. Um, yes. You're going to reduce your anxiety. Um, you're going to be true to yourself. And I, I wouldn't say it's just about compassion, but it's understanding how this brain of ours, um, how the ego and the soul dynamic works, and you really address it in a, in a very uh, succinct and great way. And for my listeners, I want to basically um, advise if you want to stop uh, your self-sabotage, as, as Paul mentioned in our, uh, in our podcast here, go out and get a copy of this book. Um, go to his website, 
Um, he's got lots of things that you can do to help yourself. There's there's workbooks there. Um, you can get involved in his, um, I think it was a gold, silver, bronze kind of program mm-hmm. you've got for people to get involved with uh, your program. And again, uh, you can do that. Um, it's very simple. Uh, just by going to theoverwhelmedbrain.com, theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And uh, Paul, it's been a pleasure having you on. Anything you want to leave uh, for my listeners with relation to um, your program, your book, uh, any final words? Thank you for uh, for having me. This has been an honor. So, uh, yeah, the the book is all, all about self-empowerment and definitely a lot about relationships because that's what life is about. My goal for anyone that listens to me or reads my book or reads the blog is to become self-empowered so that you make decisions that are right for you. And sometimes that might mean you have to honor yourself so that others uh, may, and others may not like that <laughs> because you've spent a long time honoring them uh, instead of honoring yourself. Or, I mean, you can do both. But sometimes we spend our um, a long time honoring other people, dishonoring us. And I think we need to reverse that. Honor ourselves, honor others, and just move forward in authenticity and be honest with yourself. And like you said, be compassionate with yourself. And I mean, life is just, too short not to do that and it gets shorter every year so why not start honoring yourself being more compassionate with yourself and um that's when you start creating the life you want instead of just submitting day after day into things that might be toxic for you or just not in alignment with who you are and how you want to live your life so thank you. It's a pleasure Couldn't being here. Couldn't have said any better. I think the, the key for everybody is self-nurturing and care. I think the yes. older you get, the more you realize that, you know, um, you have fewer and fewer days left on in this <laughs> physical plane, right? right Depending right. on what you believe about reincarnation or whatever your belief is. Right. It's not, it, that isn't important. You still, in this physical body, need to treat yourself uh, you are the most important thing and your growth is a result of how you treat other things. I think the Dalai Lama said it or it, it, it's somebody, but um, you're only going to be remembered by how much you loved, how much other you, how much other people loved you and how much you gave to the world. Mm. Um, so I think those three things are important and it's been a pleasure having you on, Paul. Uh, we'll make sure that all of our listeners get uh, links to your uh, website uh, and other appropriate places such as Facebook to make a connection with you. Thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth. Thank you, Greg. Thank you.